Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And what a fantastic episode we have this week. It's an immense privilege to have on the podcast Stephanie DeHose. She's a member of Open VLD, the Open Flemish Liberal and Democrats, and the president of the Belgium Senate, something that we're going to go into because of a very funny story that she has to tell about being the youngest person to achieve this position. But the main reason to have Stephanie with us today is to talk about her brilliant contribution to a larger conversation about the LGBT freedom zones in practice. This was the title of the conference that the European Liberal Forum, in collaboration with Movimento Liberal Social and Project Polska, organized in Brussels, something that we already mentioned on podcast 110 with Yuri Guiana of LGBT Liberals for Europe. In this conversation, Stephanie will introduce the concept of using the term the rainbow community and also how she and all of us can do more for equality, either through diplomacy or through activism. And that's our conversation. I'll be back to tell you about a publication we have with the European Liberal Forum. It's called the Future of Europe Journal, that I want you to know more about it. But for now, with no further ado, I bring you Stephanie the Hose. I'm here with Stephanie De Hose. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Yeah, happy to do so. Oh, it's a privilege to have you here. We were together in Brussels, as I uh, presented us already when I introduced you before. But I would like to bring a little bit about yourself to the conversation also. Not only we're we going to talk about the event and LGBTI freedom zones in practice, but you yourself. I see you as a very fascinating person. You're very young. Already you accomplished so much. So let me ask you, how did you get interested in politics and what was the path that you took to get to the position where you are right now? Thank you so, so much for the compliment. The fact that I have been interested in politics since I was a child. When I was 16 years old, I joined the, the youth local liberal party. And so if you think about it, I have been a supporter of the liberal party more than half of my life. And so step to join the liberals was, was an easy one uh, to take because, um, you know, my, my parents, they were self-employed. One day, my, uh, my father suffered a brain hemorrhage, a stroke. Yes, and um, our family learned very quickly, very quickly, I have to say, how, how tough it is to be self-employed. Mm -hmm. If you if you have a problem like that, if you are independent, it meant that you don't have a lot of support, then the smallest hiccup could change everything. And that is what also happened in, uh, in my young life. And that's the real moment that I wanted to join active politics um, because I wanted to help people, to help people that are uh, fighting, that um, to help them uh, stay strong and to help them live the life they choose, but also to give them a hand when, uh, when things get rough. I think that's uh, what the government should do. And so... Um, Starting on that, I, I studied uh, political sciences uh, at the university uh, here in Ghent, where I moved to. And then I started working for politicians uh, when I was 22, so after my, uh, after my studies. And then I worked till I was 38, always for politicians. So at the local level, at the uh, national level, Uh, I worked for aldermen, members of parliament, and at the end of my career behind the scenes, I was uh, the chief of cabinet of the Minister of Culture. 
So I have to say that uh, working for politicians behind the screens, it has been a perfect preparation, of course, for my own political life. And then in uh, 2013, I was first elected in my local council and then in, uh, in Ghent. And in mm-hmm. 2018, I became the president of our liberal group in the council because uh, we won uh, the elections here in 2018. And then in 2019, then I was the first time elected at the regional parliament. So that is in the Flemish parliament, you know, the difficult political situation in our country. Um, And at at that moment of time, I also became a senator because um, the Senate is not directly elected uh, in Belgium. It is made up by a few members of each regional parliament. So it was in the Senate in 2020 that they elected me as a youngest president and as the fifth woman to lead uh, the assembly. So that's me as a political life in short. Well, the part with the youngest uh, person to be in the position of president of the Senate. That one is particularly interesting. I'm going to ask you, jokingly, do you have like the stinky eye from older people? They look at you and they're like, who does she think she is? <laughs> She's already got to this point. She's just, That happens or everyone just accepts you and says, well, she's talented, she's hardworking and she she deserves to be here. Well, I have to say that um, in the beginning, people were like, who is she? Because uh, I was (laughs) only a member of of the regional parliament. So I was not involved involved in in federal politics, uh, of course. So uh, in the beginning, uh, people didn't know me. But now I'm uh, president of the Senate since one year and a half. And since I have... I've been president. I really wanted to shake things up. So uh, mm-hmm. I really want to change the, the whole system of the Senate because uh, I don't believe in um, the tasks that the Senate has today. So I want to reform it in a, a parliament of civilians. So um, I have to say that uh, a lot of people um, right now are um, liking the way how I conduct things because I'm, I'm young and I want to change things for the good. It's not that um, that I am 65 years old and it's just my last job. I'm like, I won't make myself. It's quite hard. So I want to do that as well for, for the Constitution, for our country, but also for the people who work for the Senate, who, where the Senate has been an institution that has been um, critically acclaimed since, let's say, 10 years, that now they are quite happy that there is somebody who really wants to, to change uh, things that I want to shake things up. So um, in the beginning, they were a bit um, wary about me, but now I hope everybody's, um, <laughs> everybody's um, liking the way uh, things are evolving. This is a great conversation. We're not going to have it today because our podcast is going to focus on something different. But for our listeners, I'm going to ask Stephanie to come back because restructuring democracy, rethinking democracy... It's always something that is very important to do. And people like you have ideas and and you fight for them. And just that is just brilliant. But I'm going to go shift gears right now because I met you in Brussels at the uh, Committee of Regions. The event, as I said, was LGBTI Freedom Zones in Practice, LGBTI Rights and the European Union. You accepted that invitation. Tell us your think process when you got the first invitation what do you thought to yourself this is important i should be there tell us why 
Well, I, I have to say that um, the rainbow community, as I always like to call it, um, has always been very close to to me and, and, and close to my heart. And um, I have been, and that's on a personal uh, note, um, I have been, I have friends who have been victims of homophobia or hatred or really just, just violent uh, reactions uh, on the fact that they are LGBTQI. And um, so I have seen firsthand what can be the impact of a person. Let me, let me give you an example. My, my best friend, um, uh, he's gay. Um, he's like he's like the brother I never had. And um, yeah, during uh, Corona, of mm-hmm. course, we took long walks. Long, long, everybody walked because it was the only thing we could do. And then um, um, together, me and my boyfriend and he and his husband uh, took a long walk for several hours. And it occurred to me that uh, my boyfriend and I were uh, holding hands. My friend uh, Dennis and his husband didn't. And I was like. It was the first time I, I know him mm-hmm. for 20 years. And it was the first time I realized that he didn't took hands with his husband. And I was like, mm-hmm. Dennis, why don't you take the hand of him? I have never seen that. And he was like, Stephanie, I don't like the looks. If I do that, I get looks. He's like, no, you, that's impossible. And said, it is. So it, 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 it shook me. It really shook me that for me, giving a hand to my boyfriend is so natural and is so... It's not it's not the thing you think about and that for him, it has a thing that he has to think about when he's giving a hand to his to his husband, where he's been married to for many, many years. So for me, that's really the the push forward to work, uh, to work hard. And so that's why throughout my work, the rainbow community has always been very important uh, to me and. In the beginning, I took symbolical uh, action. I give you an example: the largest uh, road crossing in in the colors of the rainbow in Belgium is in my hometown. Um, so I was the first one, uh, as a member of the council, who wanted uh, the mayor that that wanted the attention of the mayor. Like, let's have the biggest one, you know. And then uh, a few years later, as as a president of the Senate, I put. The, the first rainbow crossing in front of a national parliament in the world. It is it is in Brussels at the Wetstraat. So the Wetstraat street where all where the office of the prime minister is, where the office of the minister of finance is. So really the heart of political Belgium and also of course where our national parliament is. This in this area we put uh, a road crossing in the colors of the rainbow uh, at our doorstep of the Belgian parliament. It's the only parliament in the world who has it in front uh, of uh, of the building. So this is, of course, uh, symbolical, but uh, as a politician, you you can make symbols, but you have to work as well. You also have to take concrete uh, legislative uh, actions to to tackle uh, against violence. And so for an example, I um, put down um, a proposal of law that that it was possible for uh, anonymous plaints, to give an anonymous plaints by the police. Um, in my hometown, in Ghent, it is already possible. So now we are working it to make it possible in the whole country. And so um, the third uh, part of my work is that I want to spread awareness. And so I, I think this is one of the most important things that we can do 
uh, as, pos pos as politicians, um, because um, also my party has a network of, uh, mm -hmm. of the rainbow community, and it's called Out of the Blue. And from this community, I am, uh, I am the president. And so we centralize our efforts for equal rights. We bring people together uh, who want to fight against uh, discrimination. So, uh, of course, when you invited me to speak at, at your event, there was not the second of doubt uh, in my mind. Uh, so I am very glad I can share my story and, and share the story of the Belgium Rainbow uh, community. Well, our very attentive listeners already got that you mentioned a couple of times already the expression rainbow community. And I promise we'll get into that because Stephanie has great ideas, but I'm going to leave that one for the last because it's one of the most coolest one. Because on your participation of, on the event and on the first talk, on the talk you gave that was one of the first communications, you were yeah. just brilliant. You participated not only with your knowledge, but you also shared success stories. And one of them has to do with the rainbow community in Ghent. And I'm going to ask you, please, if you can tell that story again, because it's so cool. I told the story of a bar, in, uh, of course, in my hometown, and it was opened a few months ago already, and, and the owners called it the smallest gay bar in the world. And um, that uh, smallest gay bar was a very tiny townhouse. It was uh, just three floors on a couple of square meters, so quite small. And um, we shouldn't understand gay in the modern sense of the world as, uh, as, as homosexual, but mm -hmm. rather in its medieval sense, uh, gay as uh, joyful, as, as carefree, as bright, um, as happy. And so in this bar, um, you could uh, drink a coffee or a cocktail. There was also karaoke, play bingo over there, or you could visit a dark room. And yes, yes, there were glory holes. And so uh, the whole bar was just a mishmash of all conceivable ways of living. And there was something for everybody, but there was no clear perceivable team. So there was no specific societal group uh, was catered to. And so if you walked around uh, in this bar, yeah, you could find in every corner uh, something you like or something where you would feel comfortable and then but the, the entire time that you were in the bar you would be confronted by other people and other people are living other lives and different lives than uh, than yours and so uh, it didn't matter there which, which color you were which color your hair was um, or how you express yourself uh, sexually because everyone's everybody mm -hmm. was just uh, welcome there and so this bar, um, it was not just a regular bar, but it was a part of um, a festival for uh, contemporary arts. It was called the Ghent International Festival, mm -hmm. and it was running for a, for a couple of weeks. And what interested me the most about the bar was not just the bar existed, but, but that now nobody in Ghent really cared. <laughs> and... It, it could have been easy uh, to predict, of course, some conservative outrage, maybe some shocked parents fearing uh, the moral integrity uh, of, uh, of their children. Uh, you, you know the things of people can react conservatively. But no, uh, none of that. And so 
for me, it was again an example that we have reached a stage where um, a project, uh, a bar, uh, where we can celebrate diversity by integrating, let's say, all ways of lives and really all ways of lives, this has become uh, normal. And so uh, I was already very proud of my city. But at that point, I was even more proud to live in a city where this was, was possible because um, I am all too aware, um, of course, how, how unique uh, this is. And so um, it's a place where you can love uh, whoever you love, where you can marry whoever you, you want to, to marry. And so where, where everybody has the right to be happy and that nobody's like really caring, you know, that nobody's like, oh, what's going on? No, it's normal for everybody. So, um, yeah, it was a, the smallest gay bar in the world. And let's make a, the whole world the smallest gay bar of, let's say, the biggest gay bar. One thing that I noticed in my travels in in Flandre, but also in Brussels, which a place that I go often. But I was in Bruges, I was in Antwerp, in Ghent, in your wonderful city. And I did notice that and that is rainbow flags flying on yeah. actually official mass posts. So mass posts that are in ahead, like you were saying just a minute ago, when you make that rainbow crossing on the street in front of the Senate. I saw, for example, in Bruges, in the main square, there were the flags of the region, the flags of the country, the flags of the European Union, and the flag of the rainbow community. So in, in, in your experience, Stephanie, how can then this be a model for success in Belgium? Something mm -hmm. that probably you know better. And Belgium it's also has the history of being ahead in yeah. a lot of liberties. Yeah. And then maybe have this or a slightly different but similar blueprint to other countries. What are your thoughts on this? Let's say, of course, we have a history, uh, a strong history. And we always have to keep that in mind that we always every day have to we always have to fight every day to take steps forward. Because if we stop fighting, we go back. So this is always the thing you have to keep mm -hmm. in mind. But first of all, um, I would say that representation matters. Um, we need to show how happy people are when everybody can be themselves. Uh, how 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 the success of a society, let's say, can be measured by how free uh, their citizens are. Um, so this podcast, for example, this is a very important tool. But we also need talking about it about equal rights in schools, uh, at our jobs, in in our families. We need to talk about the history of the rainbow community mm -hmm. and to show every day how far uh, we have come. And also, like I said before, that we should realize that the work is not yet done. So this is the, the first uh, thing, always the representation and keeping in mind that we still have to proceed. And um, secondly, we have to fight those and those, I'm saying those, who want to go back in time. Uh, I think it's so enraging when, when you see... Every little step we have managed to take during the, uh, the past decades that some political groups in mm -hmm. Europe still trying to attack, to attack. Um, the, yeah, and so these are countries who have fallen victim to conservative and, and extreme wing uh, politicians and they try to take uh, advantage of the rainbow. And these are politicians benefit from uh, polarization and, and they need an... Um, let's say, an imaginary enemy, because um, 
their political platform is too weak to stand on its own. And um, I think that the sad reality is, is that our current society has been um, enabling politicians like these. And I think that um, the world is changing so fast um, that a lot of people can't keep up. Uh, a lot of civilians are, are uh, sometimes very confused. And um, I, I didn't know if you realized that I don't use a lot of the expression, the, the LGBTQI plus community. Um, and I choose to do so because I have noticed that too many people just can't keep up with, with a rapid pace. Um, these letters are, and these uh, terminologies are evolving. Mm -hmm. And so, and then it is a very um, normal reaction in a society when things are moving too quickly and changing that a lot of people get, get, get scarce. Um, they get frustrated because they cannot keep the pace. They cannot keep why everything is changing uh, so much. So I think it is our responsibility to take away the fear as liberals and as progressives and to make sure that everybody can keep up. And so for me, rainbow community is an, um, a more accessible way of explaining to, to all the generations that uh, some people in our world are, are queer, but that, that they are an integral part of our society. And it has always been there and it will always stay that way. So um, I'm a very strong believer in communication and dialogue because just by talking to each other, we can... We can inspire and, and help each other and we can spread the positive examples. Uh, I, you already mentioned that uh, Belgium was the second country in the world to legalize gay marriage. It was the second country in the world to, uh, to adopt, um, to, to make adoption by same-sex couples uh, possible. So, um, and you see that our society has not fallen apart uh, on the contrary. <laughs> So uh, all the levels of government, from uh, from the local to the national, they have st strong anti-discrimination laws, and um, and I'm sure, and people know that in Belgium, that people are just a lot happier when they are not uh, discriminated against. So uh, let's keep on doing that, um, and let's yeah, voila. and let's keep spreading the word. And, and I do have a question on as a follow-up on that. And during this event in Brussels, we talked about the need to have freedom zones, diplomacy, and the rainbow community. But someone at, in your position, and I do know that you travel a lot in Europe, uh, just mm -hmm. by the position you have, but also as a politician and someone that is interested in this area. Now, my question to you is, and, and getting back to, to my main point was, do you see what are the common points where you say, like, for example, empathy, uh, identification, normality, or do you think that we need more? We need to put this from top down, which is legislation and people have to accept it because that's the way it is. Of course, mm -hmm. intuitively, we've, we do understand that that's not going to be the solution. So where can we find mm -hmm. a happy spot here? Well, I have to say, like, I had a meeting last week. I'm learning as well each day because I, I think that nobody has the... The, the formula of wonder, you know, uh, or the formula that will change everything. So it's always and, 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 and 
always learning from each other. So that's why I, I had a meeting uh, last week. I was talking about, of course, my plans with the Senate and evolving to a, a parliament of civilians. And I talked with uh, with the lady who was uh, helping in uh, in Ireland to um, to completely change the constitution to make uh, same-sex marriage possible. And it was something who came from civilians. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, we know Ireland is a very conservative country. And so the politicians were a bit uh, anxious on the on doing that change. But the people did. The people um, voted. So the people, it, it was um, the, on, on the way they, they changed the constitution was only the people wrote it. And so it's always, in my opinion, the best way to have hand in hand um, the, as, a, as a way that some politicians have to be a front runner on showing how important that is. And on the other hand, you have the community and, and, and the civilians who are pushing as well the conservative politicians in, in making laws and uh, legislative work uh, and the rule of law. So um, it's not only by um, soft points, but it's, all, it's also hard points. So you have to have the combination of the both of them. Now let's get into this very uh-huh. interesting tidbit that you brought up during that meeting in Brussels. And that is, and you just described it a couple of times, but let's go with a little more detail. So rainbow community as a way to be even more inclusive, uh-huh. which is quite interesting because the LGBTQI plus, and as you said, there's a lot of letters <laughs> and a lot of symbols that are starting to get associated with that. But this is a community that strives for <laughs> equality, that strives for inclusion, that strives for normality. So I was completely fascinated by this idea of, of yours, which is a little bit of a contra, in, in a contra direction of the one that we've been seeing in the last years, which is more letters, more definitions. And you were like, no, 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 let's make it simple. Let's say that it's a rainbow community. And in here, everyone mm-hmm. will fit. And it will be easier f- to talk with people that are not from the community, people that are heteronormative, that then will understand, okay, this is not a question of infighting or trying to get a better position compared to other positions. No, no, this is all the same people looking for the same thing. So please get into that. I have to say that we have to be we have to be aware of the fact that people today are very frightened. They are frightened from everything, from uh, the inflation of the high energy costs and and the the society is moving so quickly every day mm-hmm. you 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 see on your cell phone the most let's today we are at war you can imagine <laughs> we are again in europe at war so people are afraid from everything that is coming and everything that is new so um for us who have who have always been in the community and who are like i am brought up with that thought not all, not, not everybody is brought up with that thought that everybody is that it's so normal you know and so then if you see that political parties are 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 using that or using that fear to to capitalize on 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 hate like the extreme mm-hmm. conservatives they they will tell these people that 
that uh, the people that are afraid, let's say, that transgender people are a new invention uh, or they are a postmodern elite, that, that gay people are a threat to a country's birth rates, or they say that anti-discrimination laws are a conspiracy to take away the sovereignty of a, of a nation. We know that this is a lie. But we must be aware of the fact that these ideas can spread. If, if, if I heard, if I learn from these ideas, I, I, I laugh. I'm like, Pff. but on the other hand, we cannot laugh because we have to, mm. with, with social media, with unmoderated platforms like Facebook, like Instagram, they are, and Twitter, they are, of course, they are a hotbed of, of fake news and, and this disinformation. And we, we also know that they are a fish trap for people get caught in that and it's much more harder to to get out than to get in because we know that the algorithms of, of the big tech companies they they force uh, people to to only listen to what to what they already uh, believe and 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 of course they deny the diversity uh, of, of the community they, they deny the diversity of, of every of every society even as it is in Belgium or, or in Europe of, of the whole world. And then, meanwhile, the, the pseudo-liberal politicians, they hide behind free speech to, to spew any nonsense like uh, and, and only to score uh, political, to, to political points. So there you, you come to the line where you can talk about free speech and hate speech. And so, luckily, the European Union has been taking very concrete steps against all these, these practices. Uh, the European Court of, of Justice uh, has has a few months uh, ago um, took uh, away all doubt. Uh, if if you don't uh, respect human rights, if if you discriminate and demonize against a group of people, uh, you have no business in in taking European money. Uh, so this was quite clear to uh, let's say uh, to Hungary and the Viktor Orbans from from this world. Um, so I'm very proud to see how how Europe is is acting uh, on that and is saying. There is a there is a red line that you are are crossing. We are of course doing that in in my federal parliament and in my regional Flemish parliament as well. We took on resolutions and motions, making it very clear that uh, our Europe is an open and and um, and inclusive uh, Europe. But but so of course I'm still very aware of the fact that that we have a long way to go. But as I as I said, it is very important to have people with us and as moderate politicians always to express and to to point out the the dangers of um, of the social media and and the fake news and the disinformation who is spread through that because i don't know if everybody's realizing that danger that's going on and so um yeah we we, we took a report uh, last um, a few months ago in the senate on fake news and if you see how, how this is spreading and if you see how these parties are, are using that platform to, to spread hatred and also to spread hatred um, towards us, towards the community, um, we as politicians have to react. We have to react. You cannot say, oh, it's just free speech. No, 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 no. It's not free speech. The moment that you're uh, expressing violence against people, it has nothing to do anymore with, uh, with free speech. But um, we still have a long way to go. But, but in the end, I'm, I'm quite convinced and confident that freedom will, will prevail. If you see now 
how you are fighting democracy in uh, in Ukraine, how uh, the Ukrainian people are fighting for freedom, and that fake news is not finding his way, at least not here uh, in, in Russia. It's another it's another theme, um, and so I I also think that our our youngest generations have never been so open and tolerant as they are uh, as they are today they see now what what the consequence in in Russia can be of an autocracy and then the the, the best argument for for liberal democracy and liberal not in the meaning of liberal my party but liberal in 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 a way of free institutions uh free uh, freedom of speech uh freedom to to vote so where people the people are free is is showing right now what illiberal uh, dictatorship uh, looks like and and so we liberals we have to we always have been uh, at the forefront uh, when we were fighting for equality and i think that today today more than ever uh, we need to continue that fight and we need to convince and we need to convince people to join us Stephanie, as advertised this was going to be fantastic and it was unfortunately we're running out of time but you opened the door for, for other points that are so uh, important and so interesting that I'm going to definitely ask you if you can please come back to the podcast. I would love to have you back. But for now, please tell our listeners how they can follow your work. Well, let me say, first of all, I would love to come back because I like to um, not only talk, also uh, act. So if I can help to act as well, I would love that. But my name is Stephanie Doze. You can follow me on Facebook on Instagram, on Twitter, or on LinkedIn. Those is a bit difficult to spell, but it's with D-H-O-S-E. You can uh, go to my website. You can uh, subscribe to my newsletter, of course. Um, I have to say it is in Dutch. But uh, if you don't speak Dutch, you can enjoy the pictures uh, of what I am doing. And I hope that the pictures are saying even more than the words. Well, I'm going to put all the links on the podcast show notes and with Google Translate, you can always translate from Dutch to English or to French. Stephanie, this was a great privilege. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Thank you very much. I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now, as promised, I'm going to tell you about the publication of the European Liberal Forum that is called The Future of the Europe Journal. In this first issue, the title is Why the EU Needs to Reform After the Conference. This is an ELF publication with the head of policy and research at ELF, which is Antonio Nestoras, as the editor-in-chief and with subtopics of interest like the Conference of the Future of Europe, China and the New Cold War, Technology, Populism and Nationalism. And to know more about this publication, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu, go to the search engine, type in journal, go enter and get to know this fantastic publication we have now in ELF. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and has the support of the Social Liberal Movement in Portugal and Liberty Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, 
and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.